This season, the Old Gold Club and Wolves TV Matchday Live are powered by Blythe Group. An industry-leading construction company and family-run business since 1982, driving investment and infrastructure across the UK. Blythe Group's mission is to provide an unrivaled service based on innovative, bespoke building solutions and comprehensive customer support. If you're a skilled tradesperson and you want to join the team that powers our team, contact their bases in Wolverhampton, Manchester or Maidenhead via theblythegroup.co.uk. Blythe Group. Big enough to deliver, small enough to care. Gold Club, powered by Blythe Group, official partner of Wolverhampton Wanderers. So hello there and welcome along to another episode of Old Gold Club, my golden game. Really excited about this one, reaching out a long way across the pond. Hello, Marcus Hanneman. Hello, how's it going? I'm very well, my friend. How is life over? Because you're in Seattle, right? Uh, it's beautiful. Um, ski season is nearly upon us. We're trying to switch sports seasons here, but we're kind of in the middle. So still playing a little bit of golf down here in the in the lowlands and then uh, ski season. Because that's where you grew up, right? Yep. Born and raised here. And then uh, my first pro team, I played with the Sounders back in 94 when they started up. And this is before the MLS even started. 94, 95, and 96. And 96 is when the... MLS started so it was a kind of a weird time because we had this you know outdoor league that was trying to you know struggling to get any recognition and and you know fan base but also you know, think of you know soccer in our country it didn't have that history and then I ended up going to Colorado 97 98 99 before I got signed by Fulham because I, I mean that was must have been a big thing to to move to England you say you come from an area where it's not necessarily all about soccer slash football and and then knowing that I guess at some point you would have you would want to go to England to to further your career I mean you you go back to the 94 with the the World Cup in the USA and Casey Keller Brad Friedel were the goalies after the World Cup I played my first national team game 94 played really well in these games and then the last game I played I was man of the match Never got a sniff again because Casey and, and Brad, they just played in the World Cup. They weren't going to come, you know, and they went back to England. Well, I wanted to play more national team games. I'm, you know, uh, super patriotic. How do you get back in the national team? Well, those guys are over there. I got to figure out a way to get over there. So I did pretty much everything and I, I could. And Paul Barron, he coached the soccer camp that I, uh, where my college coach was. So I knew Paul Barron really well. Uh, and that's how actually Casey got over to, to England as well because of Paul Barron, his coaching. So he would come over and Casey went to that soccer camp. So these, there's the whole like intertwined connection between all three of us. Now I'm trying to figure out a way to get over there. No one knows who I am in England. So I just kept going over and I'd stay on Paul's sofa, eat all his food and then train <laughs> at, at Aston Villa. And it was slightly different paths where Casey, you know, he was on the youth national team when he was 16, played in the Olympics and did all this stuff, right? I mean, I was still riding my skateboard, smoking pot when I was 16 and, you know, not really 100% focused, I could say the least, right? And it wasn't until I got into college and got really, really dead set on what I wanted to do um, that I started to improve. Well, it still even took a while, like, you know, I came into the game really late, mm -hmm. you know, especially as in English standards and 
you end up with a, uh, you know, laser focused, you're training more and, and I kept improving. So every year I'd go back and stay with Paul. Paul goes, wait, you're actually a goalie, you know, you're not some punk kid just wearing his hat backwards, you know, at training anymore. You're actually going to be a goalie. You're actually improving every year, all these different things. And so I played in a reserve team game for Villa at Derby at the old baseball grounds. Played really well in the game. You know, my kicking was really good and all these different things. And Paul was like, I think you can make it. And so he introduced me to, to Paul Stratford. He was at one of the uh, Aston Villa games. It was like Man United, I think, that I was watching. I started talking to him and next thing I, know, I just kept sending videos to him and 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 that was how I got to Fulham. I mean you obviously made your name at Reading and and spent a really successful period of time there nearly 300 appearances. What go what kind of went through your mind when you get that phone call from Mick McCarthy to say come and join Wolves and I guess initially were you told that you were going to come in as number one or you were there to give experience to the likes of Wayne Hennessy and Carlo Kimi and others. And you had Matt Murray there too, right? Which, yeah. who was it, who was injured. And it was a pretty weird time because we, you know, played all those games for Reading. We had, I got promoted, got relegated. And I thought we were still going to stay there. You know, we had, we had a house down there and um, Kevin Dillon kept telling me I was going to be mayor of Reading at some stage in my career. <laughs> um, that was the next step. And so I never thought I was leaving, right? Well, it turns out, you know, things changed really quickly in, in football. And I remember sitting up at our cabin and I get a call from from Mick. And, and he's like, do you, um, I'm, you know, I'm looking for somebody. I got, you know, Carl Akimi and, you know, Wayne Hennessy. You know, Wayne's right now kind of the guy. Matt Murray's injured. And I need somebody to come in with some experience. And if things, you know, don't go so well that I can, I can put you in. He goes, are you ready to do that? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, and, and thinking back at all the games at Reading and Wolves, you know, we were such fierce competitors and we always had really good, good games. And um, but there was there was usually pretty good banter in the games as well. But I always had a really positive experience with, you know, most of the people there. You're like, OK, I, this, it was almost a no brainer decision to go in and and, and do that now things change pretty quickly, right? Um, I came in and Wayne was, a, you know, obviously a, a talented goalkeeper, um, but but young. And you know what that means is sometimes things start, you know, you go off the rails a little bit with the team and the team's not doing well and might not have anything to do with Wayne. And uh, I found myself playing after, I don't know, was it 13 games or you're probably going to tell me I'm wrong, but it was something like that. No, well, it, yeah, it, it was kind of November when you kind of come into the team and I'm pretty sure it was off the back of a, a 4-0 defeat at Chelsea where, which, you know, look, that, Chelsea even, you know, in those days were probably a better team than they are now. But yeah, it, maybe it got to that point where a couple of months in the season, Mick was just like, now's the time I have to give you a go. You know, with letting four in, right? And not everyone can do that and forget about it. Ironically, there's a couple, a couple, couple things to make a short story really long, uh, which I'm good at. Paul Barron, we were at goalie camp this summer. We were co- coaching some kids, and and one of the kids goes, "Hey, who is a better goalie?" And Paul started laughing. You know, you play in these different eras; it's hard to to compare people, right? Yeah. And and Paul goes, "Well, I'll tell you what, Marcus was better at than I was. He had at least the appearance of not caring." And the kids were like, "What?" He goes, yeah, he's always this happy-go-lucky attitude. So he could go through into a situation where, like, pressure or, you know, don't tell anyone this, but I let in seven at Portsmouth 
uh, with Reading at one stage. And I probably no one ever remembers that. But I mean, how do you come? How do you come back from that? Like, how do you? How are you able to deal with that? And then, then you think of the pressures of just being a goalie, right? And then with letting in seven, or you know, Wayne, we go to Chelsea and you let in four, and you know, like you're going to Chelsea, you're supposed to lose by four, right? That's what's supposed to happen. And so it's not a big deal, but Mick throws me in there. I go, I'm ready. Well, I told you earlier, I thought my first game was Tottenham. And so I'll tell you the reasoning behind that. My wife was, her parents were going to Kenya and my wife was going to go fly out there. And now all of a sudden she's like, oh my gosh, I'm missing. And she was going to miss the Tottenham game. She goes, I don't want to go. You know, like you're playing now. I'm like, just go. I go, you know, you'll be, it'll be quick and um, I'll still be playing obviously. Right. Yeah. Well, she was, she was like devastated that she was missing games. Right. And then taking, you know, Hunter and Austin down and they arrive in uh, Nairobi and Austin, you know, he's the, how old was Austin now? He's like, I don't know, let's say 10 years old or whatever. And he goes, Oh mom, there's dad. She's like, what, what are you talking about? He goes, there's dad. He's like, what? He goes, he's on the TV. We're like, Oh, so they went down and watched, were able to watch the end of the Tottenham game down there. So it was kind of a, kind of interesting as they're sitting in the airport they're able to watch that game and so obviously had some pretty big meetings her cousin was married to a tottenham fan and so even obviously more meaningful uh just because of that forget the win bonuses or anything but just the banter <laughs> that we i didn't have to listen to steven right to tell me how great tottenham was again that was pretty good because i mean it was a, a one nil win away kevin doyle it was actually back-to-back Premier League wins because you'd be in Bolton 2-1 in the game before. So it it kind of justified Mick's decision to put you in in that it, you know, I, I don't know, well, I mean, you're a pretty modest guy, so you probably won't take the credit, but something had clearly changed in the way that the team was operating. Yeah, and, and you know, what, what that change is, it's sometimes, you know, you have to do something, you know, whether things aren't going well. And, you know, my connection with Kevin Doyle, obviously we played some time at Reading and, you know, different things. And, you know, was it my kind of no care attitude, right? That kind of just brought the the players at ease a little bit. Was it my kicking? Was it, you know, I don't know. I mean, like you go down the whole list, you never know what exactly it is, right? There's, there's not just one thing and, but it's timing, right? And, uh, and Wayne's obviously a really good goalkeeper. He doesn't lack really anything, you know? I mean, it was just, you know, what, what makes the, the thing, the thing go sometimes. And I don't know, I was happy to be a, be a part of it. And especially you go into a, in a, in a time where you think, okay, I'm only, I'm only here for it to be a backup and then end up playing the rest of the season, you know, and being able to see the whole season out and start the next year is, is pretty remarkable. Do you think sometimes a, a goalkeeper, especially at the stage of your career that you were at the time, that a, a lot of it is about kind of the stature of the goalkeeper that you mentioned obviously that you had this kind of aura that people thought you didn't care it's like a presence in the penalty area I I, I watched you many times being able to shout and organize Matt Murray was talking about this in a, a previous episode that you just you're a bigger part of the game because you've been there and seen it and you understand it and therefore people trust you more as well yeah and so like if I if I tell my defender or my center back or midfielder and I need them to move right, they move right. I mean, there's no question, right? And if they don't do it, it's because they didn't hear me. So then you just yell louder, <laughs> right? And now if they, if they still don't do it, then you get even louder and then you swear, 
you see the issue with parenting becomes part of a problem, right? As the boys get a little bit older, right? And you're like in arguments. As goalkeepers, I am still just an absolute idiot sometimes because like no matter what, like you just start to get a little bit more, you just keep yelling. They're like, why aren't they listening to me? They should be listening to me, right? <laughs> that game was just one of those where um, I remember, I think you made a, a, a pretty special save from a, a long-range effort from Tom Huddleston. And it was just kind of one, because you'd led from the third minute onwards, it was like, you know, uh, especially at that time, and, and I don't know whether you ever picked up, Wolves fans tend to have a little part of them that always expects the worst. I don't know whether that's like football fans anywhere. And yet you saw the job through that day. And maybe that proved that that team could go on and hold their own in the Premier League. Yeah. And then you end up with a belief, right? Which, and if you have that belief, then, you know, it's, it's pretty incredible. And like, you just kind of keep going and, you know, and you think about all the teams that you've had um, success on and you don't think about, oh, we're not going to be able to do this. You just figure out a way to do it. And we weren't the best team. I mean, you, you, it wasn't because we had, you know, better players than everybody else. It's because we worked together as a team. You know, when you talk to most goalkeepers, um, most of us have a, uh, a really different way of viewing as things. As, and it's not, we're, we don't really, I think we we'll look more as the team together, right? I mean, there's more, it's more about the team and, and you think of all these different things. And I don't know, because we're, we're, you think of defenders and, and goalkeepers kind of the same, but like as a goalkeeper, you can never win a game, right? Unless you go up in the last minute and you, you score a header <laughs> or you score a penalty, right? Yeah. You can only lose a game. So that's, you think about your attitude and, and how you have to approach things. And, and, um, and you talk to sports psychologists and they're like, well, you need to really enjoy the win, right? And because if you enjoy the win, then all the hard work you're doing is to get you to, and so everything's positive all of a sudden. Does that make, I don't know if that makes sense what I'm saying, yeah. but you know, doing the weights after training, right. Um, not drinking, you know, all week and, you know, just having a couple of beers after the game, you know, all those different things. It's because you enjoy the win so much. Okay. I, I don't even, I don't care about winning. Winning means nothing to me. It was, I just don't want to lose. Right. That's how I approach everything. So you're already approaching it as a negative sort of attitude, right? But that's because of what we do, right? The, our positioning and all those different things. So I, I don't, it's, I don't think you approach it correctly, you know, but that's how I motivated myself is, is, was, I just didn't want to lose. I didn't really enjoy the winning because like, if you think of a, you know, I mean, it was okay. It was, it was pretty fun, right? To win, but um, ultimately you just don't want to lose, right? Because yeah. I don't know if that makes sense or not. No, no, it does. And it, it, the thing that I really wanted to ask you about about your time at Wolves really is that, you know, you, you had such an impact on it. And yet, in, in theory, you were only actually in the team for effectively a calendar year. You know, you came in in the November of 2009. And by the end of November 2010, that was your last Premier League appearance. And it, it's one of those kind of weird things where we... When I look back on that period, I imagine you were there for the whole time, and yet you were only really there for that 12 months. I don't know if I want to get into this on the... Uh, I stopped seeing eye-to-eye with, with Terry and Mick. Um, they wanted to play out of the back. And, you know, the last game I played was a, was a cup game. 
against Stoke. Yeah. And they wanted to play out of the back. I, I don't remember my defenders really wanting to play out of the back. And, and when you roll the ball and you give it to your right back or your left back or your center back or even your midfielder who comes back to get the ball and then you're saving a one-on-one 10 seconds later, I don't want to do that anymore. I think it happens, isn't it, in football? Things can, things can change quite quickly. And they did change quickly. And I was not a happy person because I don't want to, I, I don't want to lose, right? And if you're giving me instructions that I'm going to lose for sure, right, I don't want to do it. Do you have any regrets about the way it kind of came to an end? I wish I would have played more. I mean, now if you could say I could play one more game, you know, I mean, I'd like, of course it would, you know, I'd, I'd do anything. But, you know, one, I was backing up uh, George Elikobi, who was my buddy, right? Yeah. Uh, and because George ended up getting blamed for losing that game because he ended up making a tackle right on the end line. And, but he got the ball completely, never even touched the guy. And the guy fell over and they gave a free kick. And then who scored a header? He dunked one in the back post, and that's how we lost that game against Stoke in the Cup. And now I'm devastated because I know I got dropped from the first team, right? Because now it's, you know, Wayne, you know, you know that it's, it was, you know, going to be probably Wayne's team because he's a, he was, you know, 12 or 13 years younger than me, whatever he was. And, you know, you're kind of just holding on as much as you can. You're like enjoying every minute of every game and, you know, the locker room and everything. And, um, and so Terry's talking to Ella Kobe on the, on the field. And, and I was like, Hey Terry, I go, it wasn't, it, it wasn't even a foul. And he just told me he wasn't talking to me. I'm like, no, no, it wasn't a foul. And you're talking to George about it. It wasn't even a foul. He got the ball. It was a, and it wasn't even a corner kick. It was actually a goal kick. He kicked it off him. And he's like, I'm not talking to you when I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. Well, imagine how well that went. So yeah. next thing you know, I'm in the shower. I got soap all over me, completely naked. Matt Murray is, uh, he's trying to hold me back because Terry's still having a go at me. and I'm going to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> so completely naked, Matt, Matt in his suit, right? And Matt maybe getting the ice bath. And he, and he, he guarded me in that. And he wouldn't let me leave in the ice bath for like 20 minutes. Well, I uh, um, literally called I off. Yeah. Because I was not happy. I, I've had you for way longer than I promised I was going to have this conversation, but I've got to ask because you and George Elakovi, I I love this so much because you always struck me as a very laid back character. George is not. Uh, he's louder than life and he's brilliant. That to me is an incredible meeting of minds and friends in that dressing room. Yeah, well, it was just that whole, that team we had was just incredible. You know, um, Carl Henry, you know, he was a really good captain we had there. You know, Matt Murray, who was injured, but was uh, a massive leader for that team, right? And um, all the games that I played against Wolves, you know, Matt was always playing. And so it was a, it was such a great, a great team, right? And you, I mean, you could go down the, down the whole list, but uh, I remember we're sitting there, we're training and we had to do weights and Ella Kobe's just sitting there riding the bike. I'm like, George, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm not allowed to do weights. And I'm like, what do you mean you're not allowed to do weights? He goes, he goes, when I did my knee, I started doing weights and I, they said I got too big. So they stopped, stopped me from doing weights. He goes, I'm just going to ride the bike while you guys are in here. And I'm like, 
it's not even fair. Do you know what I mean? Like he's got this <laughs> massive physique, never does a weight in his life. And you're like, what is going on? But he was, he was such a good dude. Um, I mean, that whole team, it was, it was such an amazing locker room to, you know, the, um, our fitness coaches, our trainer, everybody. Right. I mean, it was, it was an awesome time. One of the best. And one of the things that fans always remember is the April Fool's joke where you played it so brilliantly that you were going to fly the team to a game. Oh, it was amazing. It was so amazing. I actually have my commercial pilot's license now, so it would be even more feasible, right, that I could actually do this now. <laughs> yeah. But um, at the time, I think I I just got my license, maybe, you know, a year or whatever, but it was so amazing. And we got everybody. Some of the players were in on it too, but it was it was so good. This is the thing about your character, I guess, because people looked at it and were like, yeah, actually, I, I could imagine Marcus putting in himself forced to do that and, and nobody really wanting to tell you no. That sounds totally feasible. Like, if you think about it, you're like, yeah, of course, you know, and I'm going to be flying. Um, oh, okay. Maybe next summer, if any any of the uh, Wolves fans come to Seattle, I can go fly Northwest Seaplanes, and maybe I'll be uh, maybe I'll be their captain. Well, I, I wondered just finally whether, you know, whether you do get kind of Wolves fans over there, whether, because we know that the sport, obviously, Premier League, and maybe Wolves, because of the success that we've had in the last couple of years, is it getting bigger and bigger, even as far as where you are up in the Northwest? 100%. It's massive. And the, and the Sounders, when I came back in 2012, me and Ziggy uh, Schmidt didn't really see eye to eye, and they didn't really want – he wanted to go a different route. And so he ended up signing this other guy. And, you know, we're just like, well, let's soon need to go home because my kids were now in eighth grade and seventh grade, which – you know, in the UK, that would have been secondary school where Hunter was, you know, going to go down to Shrewsbury and play cricket or something. And we're like, we need to go home. Otherwise, we're never going home. Right. <laughs> and how does it all work? Right. The, the Putting the pieces back together. And I don't know. It's just it was just a really complicated, complicated time. And um, so we just retired and made it through, you know, three months. And then they're like, hey, do you still want to play? And I'm like, yeah, I want to play. You know, we're getting thirty five thousand you know, people to the games and, you know, massive, massive support from the Seattle we had. When Adrian Hanauer, who was the owner of the Sounders, called me up and asked if I still wanted to play. I'm like, you know, 40 something years old. I'm like, my, I actually asked him, I go, for who? He goes, for us. And I'm like, oh, of course I do. And I go, okay. So I went down and now it took me a couple, three to five weeks to get fit because uh, I'd drinking a lot of beer um when i retired and <laughs> and not training obviously right and but i you know i went and did one training with a goalie coach and you know he's smashing balls at you and you don't forget how to catch a ball right so able to play another few years and not only that it was uh it was truly remarkable I, you know mostly as a backup but i got to play in some games i played some cup games and the last time i played i saved three penalties in the in a shootout the year we won the open cup so I mean, we have some amazing fond memories of of still playing and uh and really enjoying the game and i traded a, my uh shirt so that was remember if i of course you remember how i used to always give my shirt away yeah so i was gonna go give my shirt to one of the fans while i ran over the beer garden because i am maybe the smartest human being alive and i got the uh after just saving the penalty i ended up trading my shirt for a beer <laughs> And, and down the beer on the field, and I see here's our team manager running over, and I'm like, I am going to get so busted for this. I just pounded this beer, you know, like, I'm like, and he's like, 
did you just trade your shirt for a beer? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, that is so amazing. I'm like, oh, I'm not even going to get in trouble for this. This is the best thing ever. I'm so lucky because it just like it, it was pretty an awesome experience. And that's what I'm, you know, what I'm known for now. Right. I mean, just, you know, things like that. It, it's pretty awesome. Well, mate, I mean, you mentioned giving your shirt away to fans and stuff and everything you did. Um, I just wanted to leave you with this, basically. It's a really strong memory of mine that you're involved in. When I was working for the local radio station and we organised a Christmas party for young kids and yourself and Matt Murray gave up your time and came down and spent an incredible amount of time with the kids, posed for photos. I remember it so clearly. And it it's one of those things that sometimes fans don't get to see. And especially when it maybe wasn't at a great time for you when you just come out of the team. But that's an overriding memory for me that you were willing to give up your time at, at Christmas time for young kids in the area and i think it's important that people know that and thank you for doing that and thank you for spending time with me talking about your time at wolves no it was uh such an awesome time and getting a chance to spend one more day with matt murray hanging out signing autographs and you know things like that where you kind of are now thanking us for these things where you're like why wouldn't someone do this and i know you go okay we're you know there's all these all this time and all these things but when all these young pros and anyone who's you know, I know some of the stuff is a pain in the butt, but when it's when it's done, you would just do that, you know, it, it, and you say I'm humble and all these different things. It doesn't matter. You think about you just want one more day, right, of all these things, one more chance to play in the game and, and do all these things. Now, I'm not talking about playing in the over 40s here in Seattle because that's not my cup of tea. I'll tell you that right now. But uh, to play in a game that actually matters, you know, those sort of things and um, you know, you, we sit here and talk about all these different memories that I've had and all of that. It's pretty incredible. It seems like a lifetime ago. You know, you're talking about how I was able to hopefully influence a, you know, a young kid, you know, down the right path and, you know, maybe a positive experience, whatever it is. It's, it's incredible that, you know, I had that influence on someone. And so thank you. Thanks for listening to the Old Gold Club, powered by Blythe Group. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review and rating from wherever you get your podcasts.